This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Okay, thanks for joining me on this Your Ranch Audio podcast. We're going to talk about Adam and Eve arriving on the planet. Um, I've been thinking a lot lately about the, the return of Melchizedek or even of, of Christ and what that might look like in terms of how it would affect society, what would happen on that day. And it's kind of hard to imagine that all of a sudden, out of nowhere, would arrive these spiritual beings who somehow are able to reveal themselves. What kind of a what kind of response do you think would that be? You know, would CNN be there? MSNBC? Would our military show up with you know all kinds of firepower? I mean, I can't imagine because. Frankly, my mind is so full of science fiction movies and, and, you know, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, I guess, would be the closest sort of thing. But it's hard to imagine, too, because, well, so just kind of going backwards in time, if you look at when this kind of event happened in the past, uh, according to the Urantia Papers, you know, we have had these times where periodic visitations occur where spiritual beings of a certain level come. Um, there have been a lot of events in history where Gabriel has come. Obviously, Gabriel was a big part of, of not only Judeo-Christian religion, religious history. And every time he shows up, something important happens. It certainly is true for Islam. I mean, Muhammad apparently had several meetings with Gabriel, and Gabriel gave him a lot of truth. Gabriel is a sort of the COO of our of our creation, for lack of a better term. So he shows up, but he only tends to show up to the individual. You know, Melchizedek showed up, and you could argue that he came for the individual, but he actually set up a school with the intent of creating a sort of a small society of teachers who would go out and proclaim truth to the world and try to uplift the spiritual uh, level of, of humanity. Because through religion, we learn morals. Through morals, we learn ethics. Through ethics, we, leave, we learn philosophy. And all of this shapes our minds to be more attuned to, you know, hearing the spirit of God and being able to understand spiritual truth. That's the whole point of religion, is to enlighten the mind, to understand and be able to appreciate and grow from spiritual truth. Hence the, the statement, first learn the eternal realities. 
Make those the priority in your life and you'll have wisdom. You know, when I went to college, they told me when I took my philosophy course, you know, some people will tell you math is the most important course. Some people will tell you science is the most important course to take. But my philosophy teacher, he said, philosophy is the most important because it teaches you how to interpret with a sense of unity the other sciences. And I think he was right. And that's one thing that we lack in our education system is we don't tie the different sciences together. They're learned almost separately from one another. And there is unity. There is unity to all of these things. Life is about unity. Anyway, not getting off on a philosophical tangent there. but um, So back to this whole idea of having a spiritual visitation. The Christians accept the fact that at some point Christ will return. Almost every major religion sort of has this expectation that at some point a, a personality of spiritual brilliance may someday reappear. And my question is, regardless of whether it's Melchizedek or Jesus himself or whoever else we might expect, how are we going to react to that? And is it going to be a private affair? Is it going to be something that only a few people see? Or is it going to be something that's perhaps broadcast on all networks? And then what happens after that? So, obviously, if you look at the epical uh, revelations, which means to say moments in time, where a spiritual personality created a new epical period. As the Arantia book explains, there's pre-bestowal, there's post-bestowal, uh, there's all kinds of different personalities who come at periods of time in, in any or world's history. And those mark epics, epochs. So we've had five major epochs um, in our history. And I'll name them. The first was the planetary prince, Caligastia. He came and he brought with him a staff of a hundred who were physical beings. Uh, they were adapted to suit the, whatever the current uh, Denisovan uh, race. The, they call them the Andonites, the offspring of Andonite, Andon and Fanta, the first true human beings. So the the nodites, for reference, that might be easier to understand, the nodites that are mentioned in the Bible when, when Cain leaves the Garden of Eden and he goes off to find himself a wife after murdering his brother, he goes east to the land of Nod. So where they were is, you know, in present-day Iraq, going east would mean that he was headed towards um, Persia. Well, it wasn't called Persia. We know it as Iran. It may just be the eastern side of, of Egypt as well, or uh, Iraq as well. It may not even be a reference to Iran. But in any event, Nod was the leader of the Nodites. And who was Nod? Well, he was one of the original 100 staffers that fell into rebellion. You know, a few hundred centuries or a few dozen centuries prior to the appearance of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were the third 
Now the second epical event. So you had Caligastia and for all intents and purposes what became the Nodites. They were the first epical appearance of a whole bunch of spiritual beings who suddenly showed up on the earth. And they put in the plan to try to civilize early man. Well, it failed because of the Lucifer Rebellion. I'm just, forgive my redundancy, but not everybody who listens to this podcast even understands what the Urantia book says. So I'm just trying to lay out a timeline. Uh, so in the in that sense, Adam and Eve came and they too were witnessed by human beings at the time that they arrived. So I look to that and I think, okay, <clears throat> well, you can look to what happened then and maybe get a sense of what might happen when the next visitation comes. And that actually forces us to ask questions about what we should be doing to prepare for that event. And that's the whole point of this so Melchizedek showed up and he, there was some nomad herder, sheep man, I forget his name, starts with an A. And he has dinner with him and he explains to him, I am Melchizedek of the Most Highs. I come, you know, to bring peace and to teach you, you know, about God. So that was Melchizedek's mission. And it took a long time for word to spread that this Melchizedek was even there. And, and many people didn't quite understand who he was because they initially called him a king and they called him the sage of Salem um, as opposed to the sage of South, South Central. But the sage of Salem, um, which is interesting because there's a gentleman that I know, Larry Elder, who's running for governor, I actually do some work for him. And he uh, he calls himself the Sage of South Central. And the company that he works for is Salem. <laughs> so that's about as close as you're going to get to the Sage of Salem in the modern times, I suppose. It's kind of interesting, however, isn't it? Anyway, um, and of course, Salem is a large Christian broadcaster. I've often wondered where they got the name from. Of course, we know where they got the name from, but... What was the motivation for choosing that word, I wonder? Anyway, um, so let's go back to paper 74. And let's just read a little bit about the arrival of Adam and Eve, because it's important. Uh, this will maybe give us a little bit of insight as to what we should expect and what we should pay, uh, prepare for. If there should be a, a magisterial son, a magisterial son, meaning a son who represents uh, our universe. And then we have, because Christ was the bestowal son. He was the third epical revelation, but his was unique to the experience of a creator son because a creator son only bestows himself once in his entire existence on a planet of humans where he is born of a, of a child or a babe and grows up as a human to live among humans. That's the significance of Michael or Jesus. Now, all the others that will come afterwards will not be born. There might be an exception. But we've sort of gone through that period, which kind of throws off our, our history a little bit. Um, 
But Adam and Eve were the second epical revelation. Melchizedek was the third. Jesus was the fourth. And then the Urantia book is the fifth. And now I'm reading from the Urantia book. And I'm telling you what happened in the second epical revelation. When Adam and Eve first appeared. And you're probably thinking, okay, because if you haven't heard the story, you're thinking, well, there, there weren't, were Adam and Eve the first humans? Did they just show up? So they're, what, extraterrestrial? No. They didn't come from another planet, like another planet, an evolutionary world. They came from the headquarters of our system of worlds. Big difference. You know, there are, a, there are actually a group of citizens that live on Jerusalem, which is a sphere about the size of, of Jupiter, I'm, I'm guessing. I'm guessing it's probably about the size of Jupiter. And it, it is the headquarters of our system, and our system is known as Satania or Satania. Um, and it is going to eventually be comprised of a thousand worlds. We're planet 606, which means, as far as time goes, we are the 606th world to produce will creature or will creatures of spirit potential. And for further reference, there are in existence since our time, since we came into existence 4.5 billion years ago, and we were registered as a life modification life modification planet when Andon and Fanta were born uh, almost a million years ago because they were the first two human beings who had the ability to worship thereby giving them spirit potential so you see how this this works on, on a time scale now we're at that point where Adam and Eve fell asleep on Jerusalem they're preparing for their trip in fact, I should probably read the first segment because that sort of lays, lays the, the plan. So here we go. From paper 74, section 1. The planetary Adam and Eve of Urantia were members of the senior corps of material sons on Jerusalem, being jointly numbered 14,311. They belonged to the third physical series, and they were a little more than eight feet in height. At the time Adam was chosen to come to Urantia, he was employed and with his mate in the trial and testing physical laboratories of Jerusalem. For more than 15,000 years, they had been directors of the Division of Experimental Energy as applied to the modification of living forms. So it's almost like Adam and Eve were on this planet and they were directors at what would, be, what would it be the equivalent, maybe for us, the CDC, Center for Disease Control, or something of that kind of level where they are in laboratories. They're, they're, they're scientists. And long before they had, and I'm continuing to read, long before this, they had been teachers. So even before their careers as scientists, in the citizenship schools for new arrivals on Jerusalem. So they have an experience not only as doers, but even as teachers. 
And all this should be borne in mind in connection with the narration of their subsequent conduct on Urantia. When the proclamation was issued calling for volunteers for the mission of Adamic Adventure on Urantia, so there was a there was a call made. Who wants to volunteer to be an Adam and an Eve on a on a newly evolving world? They've just gotten to the point where they're at their peak of development, and it's now time to call in the next bestowal, next epic. You know, because remember, they're here to serve us and to teach us spiritual growth. <clears throat> so, the call is made. Entire senior corps, volunteer, everybody wants this gig. And the Melchizedek examiners, with the approval of Laniferge, Laniferge, by the way, is a system sovereign who replaced Lucifer. Laniferge was instrumental in bringing this Urantia book to our planet, by the way. I've heard. Uh, and he, along with the Most Highs of Adentia, Adentia being the constellation headquarters, and yes, Adentia, the root uh, of Eden, the Garden of Eden is Adentia, E-D-E-N-T-I-A. Finally selected the Adam and Eve who were subsequently able to come to function as biological uplifters of Urantia. So the Most Highs, the Melchizedeks, they picked their candidates, Adam and Eve, they looked at their history, their education, their bona fides. One of the things that they noticed was that Adam and Eve had remained loyal during the rebellion to Michael. Um, and also their children, too. They had a hundred children. See, these Adam and Eves are also material, uh, albeit spiritual, but they're material and they're capable of procreating not only in their world, but in ours, as we will see. We are actually all related in some regard to Adam and Eve. I don't know if you've ever really thought about that, but... um, Now, it's interesting because as they were being prepared, the details of our affairs were fully presented to Adam and Eve, and they were exhaustively instructed as to the plans to be pursued in accepting the responsibilities of rulership on such a strife-torn world. They were put under joint oaths of allegiance to the Most Highs of Adentia and to Michael of Salvington. And they were true, and they were duly advised to regard themselves as subject to the Arantia Corps of Melchizedek receivers. You know what a receiver is, right? A receiver is someone who takes over a business that goes into bankruptcy. So the Melchizedeks, and there are 12, Machaventa was one of them. Uh, our high sons, they're, they're just ultra-high. What did I refer to them? Uh, the name escapes me. Uh, I want to say they're like the James Bond of, of sons of God, but it's more than that. It's, um, they're of a special, unique, self-governing order. Um, they don't need anybody to tell them what to do. But they, they serve Gabriel and they serve Michael. And they serve the Most Highs, the Trinity Origin Sons. Uh, And the core, this core of 12, is in charge of our planet since the rebellion. And so when Adam and Eve were agreeing to come here, under normal circumstances, they would be in charge. 
but because our planet was affected by the rebellion. You know, they had to earn the authority. There was going to be a transition between the, uh, the Melchizedeks and Adam and Eve to make sure that, you know, they could handle it. Interesting, right? So this Jerusalem pair left behind on Jerusalem their offspring. And they everybody wished them well and the um, had a farewell party and they were really excited. Even um, it was announced by Gabriel that they were going to be the new rulers of planet 606. And thus did Adam and Eve leave Jerusalem amidst the acclaim and well-wishing of its citizens. They went forth to their new responsibilities, adequately equipped and fully instructed concerning every duty and danger to be encountered on Urantia. Adam and Eve fell asleep on Jerusalem, and when they awakened in the Father's temple on Urantia, in the Garden of Eden, in the presence of the mighty throng assembled to welcome them. So this is the second time in an epical revelation where there's large groups of people know that they're, these people are coming. They're being told. Van, whose uh, Lake Van is named after Van. Uh, the Vanites, superior culture, they were the ones, the descendants, the Erarshans, are the descendants of the Vanites. Uh, probably the uh, Akkadians as well because they were in that Caspian region, eastern Turkey. It was very high society. That's where we get those, those large structures that are built 12, 15,000 years ago. The ancestors of this group, the Vanites, and probably perhaps even the Nodites. But Van and Amadon had stayed on after the rebellion and the Caligastia. Remember I told you about the hundred, the Nodites, well, Van didn't rebel, and his human associate, Amadon, and we have an earlier podcast about that. If you go back and look in the archives, Amadon was a pretty amazing man. So they show up. Here's a crowd ready to welcome them. And, uh, and on that day, there was great excitement and joy throughout Eden as the runners went in great haste to the rendezvous of carrier pigeons assembled from near and far, shouting, let loose the birds, let them carry the word that the promised son has come. Hundreds of believer settlements had faithfully year after year kept up the supply of these home-reared pigeons for just such an occasion. This happened about 38,000 years ago in an area of northeast Syria, (coughs) probably in the area of Latakia Uh, because at that point there was a peninsula that shot west off the coast of that region it's now underwater and that's well that's not what forced Adam and Eve to move to their second garden but it is what happened as time went on 38,000 years ago there was a peninsula that was chosen as the site of the Garden of Eden so as the news of Adam's arrival and if you haven't figured it out by now Yes, there were other human beings on the planet when Adam and Eve showed up. The Bible disagrees. Christian teaching teaches us that Adam and Eve were the first human beings. But then it also teaches us 
that Cain went to the land of Nod and found himself a wife, which mathematically would have been impossible if Adam and Eve were the first two human beings. So which one is right? The land of Nod with the Nodites or Adam and Eve are the only ones here? So a lot of people listening to this are going to either have either made that decision or they haven't made that decision. But the story I'm telling you is based on the the the, uh, the premise that when Adam and Eve arrived, they came to teach us the ways of God. And they were here to uplift us. And... If you read about the story in paper 75, you'll know about what happened. You'll get a clearer understanding. The best understanding you'll understand about the impacts of Adam and Eve and the so-called fall of man. So here we are with Adam and Eve. News spread. Van and Amadon out there spreading the word. The reception committee welcomed the son and the daughter of the system of Satania. Amadon was chairman of the committee, which consisted of 12 members embracing a representative of each of the colored races. The next act of the delivery of the charge of planetary custody to Adam and Eve by the senior Melchizedek, chief of the Council of Receivership on Urantia, the material son and daughter took the oath of allegiance to the Most High to Michael of Nebadon and were and were proclaimed rulers of Urantia by Van, who thereby relinquished the authority which he had held for over a hundred and fifty thousand years. Gonna let that just hang out there. Imagine hundred and fifty thousand years. Van. An immortal, really. Adam and Eve were invested with kingly robes on this occasion. Not all the arts of Dalmatia had been lost to the world. Weaving was still practiced in the days of Eden. Then was heard the archangel's proclamation and the broadcast voice of Gabriel decreed the second judgment roll call of Urantia and the resurrection of the sleeping survivors of the second dispensation of the grace and mercy of 606 of Satania. The dispensation of the prince had passed. The age of Adam, the third planetary epic, opens amidst scenes of simple grandeur. And the new rulers of Urantia start their reign under seemingly favorable conditions, notwithstanding the worldwide confusion occasioned by the lack of cooperation of their predecessor and authority on the planet. In other words, thanks for nothing, Caligastia. So Adam and Eve show up. Even the archangel, Gabriel himself, announces the broadcast, the occasion that is marked by the resurrection of all of those who had died over that 150,000, 200,000-year span between the two epics. So the significance of an epic is not only temporal, but it's also spiritual. So when Christ died, for reference, and he was resurrected, 
that was also a resurrection of the sleeping souls. So Adam and Eve come, and all of the souls are resurrected that had died between the point he arrived going back quarter million years. All I'm saying is that the epical resurrection probably has occurred. My point is, is that we probably have had one recently. Or we're about to have one. Because sometimes the resurrections don't happen right when they show up. In Caligastia's case, they may have. But there probably weren't that many souls to resurrect. So few human beings probably even had the potential to, to worship. And Andon and Fanta, well, they'd been around. The Neanderthals, how many Neanderthals survived? You know, one wonders. The uh, the Heidelberg race, how many of those? The Foxhalls. Now, it wasn't really till the Sangiks came along, the colored races, that man really started operating in high gear. And, of course, the first thing the Sangiks did was destroy all the Neanderthals and destroy whoever they could find. It's kind of like the Taliban, you know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anyway, so now we're into the, uh, the next epical revelation, which is Adam and Eve. And they are now here to uh, get us on the right track. So the question of all of this, and I know I've taken a long time to get to this point, is, is what happens on the next appearance? How will that be? Will it be more like a thief in the night where only a few people are privileged to know? For all I know, there might be a group of people out there right now somewhere that are building a temple for the Father. If you are, let me know. I'd, I'd like to contribute. If you uh, are of mind that perhaps it may be thousand years from now? Should we be preparing? Is that what the Arantia book is doing? Is the Arantia book preparing for the next revelation? That's something that I've pondered frequently. It would be hard to see why they would have two epical revelations so closely to each other. And when you view the world as it is today, it does seem that it's going to take quite a bit of time, hundreds maybe even, even thousands of years, maybe a thousand years. And that will depend on if we survive in our current state or if we regress and go back. Maybe there's a war, maybe there's a virus, something that takes us out and we have to rebuild society from scratch. But we'll have had the advantage of data and knowledge and so it wouldn't take as long to rebuild the society. But maybe that's where the Arantia book will come in. There's all kinds of ways you can speculate, and that's all it is, is speculation. But it's curious because in the Arantia book, it talks about the fact that Melchizedek could come at any moment. He is the planetary, he is the current planetary prince of our world, according to the UB. Uh, Michael gave it to him, Jesus, said, you're, you're in charge until I return. And we have not had a uh, any kind of visitation between Jesus and now, except this book claims to be a message being delivered, but not through a personality, but through a collection of contributors. That's an interesting concept. 
So we went a little bit long on this, but I just thought it was interesting to kind of unpack a lot of this because it uh, obviously, you know, has more answers than questions, but they're extremely provocative. And I hope you've enjoyed it. I'd uh, love to get your comments. My email address is radio at gmail.com. Radio at gmail.com. And we've been talking about Adam and Eve and visitations from spiritual beings and what they look like. We'll see you next time on the Arantia Audio Podcast. Bye.